Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are feeling hashtag blessed as another walking, talking storyline has rejoined the Bundesliga, where once was nothing but a, a wan attempt at a stylistic makeover. Now we have a bona fide media lightning rod who may or may not know what the hell he's doing coaching a football team. Yes, none other than Jurgen Klinsmann. He is back in the Bundesliga at Hertha BSC. And, you know, my guest, Axel Falk, it's it's going to be up to you to corral me from talking too much about the old lady of Germany's top flight. Do you think you're up to that? I hope so. Uh, I think there's been too much going on this weekend to just talk about Hertha. I would agree. I would agree. And, and to tell the truth, considering the way results went for Hertha, you know, uh, I, I don't want to talk too much about him, although I, I always want to talk too much about him. Axel, this week we're going to have a good long look at Clenzy, of course. We're going to have his first game in charge against Dortmund, uh, whether or not that saved Lucien Favre's bacon. We're going to weigh the relative merits of all the title contenders. We're going to have an overview of what's keeping the Eagles of Eintracht from re- really fully taking flight from you. Axel. And we're going to have much, much more, I I promise. So let's just take a quick break and then we'll get it on. Okay, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we run through the best of the match day that has just passed us by, or or in this case, uh, the match day, which at the time of recording right now, match day 13, is still kind of hanging on. I promise you, we're going to have more about that later on with our guest, Axel Falk, who, as always, has, has plenty to say about Eintracht Frankfurt. But let's start in the place where many, many heads were turned on Saturday. The Klinsey Show. Yeah, last week's pathetic 4-0 loss in Augsburg meant that the Ante Chovic era at Hertha BSC was over after just 12 games, and the folks in charge of the Capital Club, although mostly new investor Lars Windhorst, uh, decided to put none other than Jürgen Klinsmann in charge on an interim basis. He brought not only himself, but a host of other uh, backroom staff along with him. We can, we will talk about how that happened, uh, what it all means in a moment. But first, let's, let's take a quick look at how this game went. It was... You know, as I as I mentioned in the intro, a loss for Hertha, although kind of a weird one. The team came out very fiery, perhaps not quite fully organized in the early going, and were punished twice in three minutes by Dortmund. Quick strike moves out of midfield, capped off by Jaden Sancho, alone on the left wing, cutting inside, then Torgan Azar, slipping his marker down the middle. Hertha did fight back. They got a goal through Vladimir Darida, redirecting a shot from Dodi Lokobakio, then a bit of good fortune in Mats Hummels' misfortune. Two yellow cards for that central defender legend. Trying to slow down Davy Zelka in both cases, he was off just before halftime. Mostly rear guard action from then on from Beifau Bay, which was enough to hold on for a win. Other than Davy Zelka's goal, which was, you know, chalked off for offside three minutes into the second half, Hertha didn't produce a lot of good clear-cut chances. Axel, I don't know how closely you were watching this game. I think all that verbiage that we just heard <laughs> means that I really was watching this game really closely. And we will get to the Hertha narrative in just a moment. But let's quickly focus on the Dortmund narrative here. It was a gloomy week leading up to this game. They had, had that draw at home to Paderborn where they had to dig themselves out of a deep, deep hole. They lost away to Barca in the Champions League. But this, for my money, 
This was a gritty win, you know, getting a couple of smash and grab goals, defending their hearts out in the second half down to 10 men. I think that, you know, Lucien Favre seemed very satisfied after this game. I think that he really should be. I think the Dortmund's fans should be satisfied with this performance. You think that this means something going forward for this team? I hope so. It's always very, you know, very difficult to say. But I think this could mean something, at least for the players themselves, to gain some kind of self-confidence after what has been a very few difficult weeks or even a very difficult month for them. But I don't think myself that this, this result changes that much for father himself. I think the result doesn't change much for Borussia Dortmund as a whole, but it changes a bit for the players themselves, as I said, when it comes to you know their own uh, self-confidence, but for the club and where they are on the table or and uh, what their chances are on winning the title this season with father in charge hasn't changed that much. So I think for the players, yeah, it's always good to win. You know, It's always good to feel like what you're doing is paying off, but I don't think father is the one to thank for this win. I don't think Fabrice is the right man to take them forward either. So I think it's kind of, uh, you know, both ways for them. It's not, you know, not that good, but not that bad either. I think it's just time to take the leap for Bruce Dalton, no matter how well they played against other Berlin. Interesting. All right. I, I didn't know you were so strongly on the uh, five out bandwagon. So in your mind, perhaps this was just a, a pretty routine away win over a pretty poor side, which is, of course, a, a way you can look at this. If if Lucien Favre is not the man to, you know, push Dortmund forward, and, and let's face it, this is a team who came into the season with aspirations of winning the title. They still have those aspirations, but they seem further away than they did, you know, back in August and September. Who is the guy to push them forward? And and what is it about Favre's approach that you think is so wrong-headed for this squad? I think, first of all, I think Favre's approach has always seemed to be a bit too reactionary. He tends to react more than, you know, try to proact. He reacts to things that he hasn't foreseen, uh, which is never a good thing for, for a manager to do. I mean, in-game management is always good to have, but it's not something you need to rely on every game you're in charge which Farid seems to do yeah I, the classic Favre image and we saw it during this game was you know they give up a goal they get a red card and you see him on the sideline hunched over with a piece of little scrap of paper on his thigh scribbling notes as furiously as possible and you're thinking to yourself there's two minutes left in the half here dude you can just can't you just let it wait until you get into the locker room and tell the guys then yeah uh, exactly. And I think uh, Favre, I mean, football as a whole is always a very, uh, you know, a game filled with momentum and you need, you need to follow that momentum wherever you go. I think Favre, kind of a very good manager, I think, can kind of see things coming. You can see where, you know, the momentum is, is turning. And I think Favre just hasn't got that ability to see possible problems uh, or possible dilemmas, you know, uh, in game that other managers might do. So I think that's his. That that is has always been his main problem uh, as a manager. You know, seeing seeing the unforeseen, trying trying to proact instead of react to to things in game. And in regards to who can take over after him, I think I still think Hasnitel at Southampton could be a very good choice. Not that he's done that well at Southampton, obviously not. But I still think he, as as a manager, has the capabilities, the uh, tactical uh, capabilities to take a club like Bruce Dortmund to, you know, the absolute top, more so than I think Lucien Favre can, because we have seen Favre fail with 
quite a few clubs on multiple occasions. We've seen Morlis fail his last season at Hertha. We've seen him fail at at Mönchengladbach um, as well. And he's never come across to me as, as you know, a, a title-winning manager. He's come across as more uh, the manager who can take a mid-table club to Europe, um, which is good, of course, but not the kind of manager you need at a club like Bruce Dortmund. A bit like Niko Kovac in that regard. A, a manager who can take a mid-table club, a club from, you know, the Netherlands to success uh, in some regard, but I don't think Favre is a manager who can take Bruce Dortmund to a club that should be at the top to the, you know, the absolute summit of German football, not as, as it looked throughout his career, at least. Interesting. Interesting. And I know that this sort of, you know, making that leap is something that clubs have a lot of trouble doing. And when all those clubs saw Frankfurt do it, with Niko Kovac, they thought that maybe they would be looking for coaches who could do the same thing. I mean, certainly in some ways, that's probably what a club like Hertha were thinking when they got rid of Pal Dardai and, and replaced him with Ante Čović. You know, probably from the beginning, that was a bit of a premature or a bit of a fanciful decision considering Čović's lack of experience. But they gave him a shot. It didn't really work out. And to tell the truth, for, for a time, a few years ago, it looked like Dardai was going to be that guy. He did get them into Europe. It just didn't turn out to be something year on year. But, you know, turning things over to Hertha, because we did sort of kick things off uh, by looking at this match through their prism. This would seem on its face to be a pretty odd decision. And I remember when Chovic was finally fired earlier leading up to this match day, the rumors that Klinsmann was in the frame to take over on an interim basis initially seemed absurd because, you know, he hasn't coached a, uh, a club side in, you know, a good 10 years. His, you know, record both at Bayern as a club coach was, you know, not good. And his record in the end for the United States men's national team certainly ended up in a place where I think uh, he burned a lot of bridges, not only in terms of uh, the way the way that he coached the team, but his team selection with, you know, the sort of management of uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation for better or for worse. It seemed like this is a guy who brought more baggage than you'd like along to a, a club that has a real need of, of some positive thinking. I mean, do you, does this strike you as a good idea? We can get into the nitty gritty of who he brought along with him and what he might have up his sleeve sort of more organizationally in a minute. But Klinsman, really? Uh, I think Klinsman as an injury option is, isn't too bad. I think as a permanent option is horrible, but as an injury option and to then, you know, go back into other sections of the club to be a more structural change uh, is probably a better choice than him as a permanent manager. But I, I still think that, you know, as I said, the choice is kind of odd. I don't think Lisbon has the, the experience of, uh, you know, managing a, a club in this situation that uh, is, is in having had a manager stay for a few years and then have, you know, a, a new manager with new and new ideas uh, come in and then just get kicked out and then taking over. It's a very, very difficult situation for a new manager, no matter, you know, who is. So being Ewan Klinsmann, being very inexperienced uh, and taking this role, I can only assume that it's been, you know, somehow, it's somehow in his contract with a club to be this interim option until something else else is is found, which should be, I mean, at the latest in the uh, winter break, because uh, 
they, I mean, they heard about Mossy, and I think Klinsmann himself does see as well that he himself is not a viable option for for the club as you know head manager, uh, no matter how how long time it is. So I, I think and I hope that they both see that this is not a good option. Uh, but I think it's at the moment it's like the best interim option they got, considering they've you know the former interim option, which was uh, Chovic, is gone, uh, and Klinsmann who will who will who is or is a part of you know the club can take uh, another role and possibly you know get to know the club a bit being interim manager. So I think this obviously it's not not a good choice. Uh, and him as, as I said as a permanent manager would be catastrophic. But as an interim option, it's not too bad. It could be works. Uh, you know, it could be Norbert Meyer, or it could be uh, you know uh, <laughs> something like that. Sure, uh, sure, it, it could, could be, be a real. You know, Mikoslomka, or you know, it's, <laughs> it could be um, a real uh, retreaded tire that's sort of uh, yeah, you know worn exactly. out to the to the yeah, nub. So, uh, mm, exactly. So it's uh, it's it's not too bad. I, I I think it could be much much worse if they they tried to get worse, which obviously they shouldn't. But it would be kind of fun to see Norbert Meyer at other. Uh, a personal favorite of mine, actually. I don't know Norbert Meyer. His football has always been very tragic to watch. Uh, like. Choke me with a plastic bag, bad. So it would be kind of interesting to see that in Bundesliga. So, you know, in comparison to that, I think you can close, but it's actually a very decent choice as an interim option that is not the permanent option. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it strikes me that he represents a wider plan to overhaul the, some of the structures at this club. Or at least I hope that's what the plan is. You know, his contract, as well as the contract of his two assistants, Alexander Nuri and Markus Feldhoff, go to the end of the season, as does the contract of Anna Friedrich, who's been installed as a, as a performance manager, whatever that is. It's, you know, meant to be in there as something, you know, to, to facilitate communication between, you know, the team side of things and the management side of things, which, you know, if you read a lot about Hertha, sounded like was a problem in terms of uh, Michel Preitz, the sporting director's uh, ability to, 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 you know, <laughs> get his message across cleanly and, uh, you know, warmly, whatever, to, to the team. It seems like Hertha have their hearts set on trying to convince Niko Kovac to become the coach. And since Kovac made a public statement that he doesn't want to uh, take another job during the course of this season, in some ways I think this is their way of getting ready to make that approach. But it does come with a certain degree of risk, I think. There's plenty of teams who have put together very nice squads who have thought that they were sufficiently insulated from relegation, you know, purely on the <laughs> on the back of having that nice squad who have, have learned otherwise. I mean, it's happened to Hertha before. It certainly happened to the likes of Stuttgart and Cologne and Hamburg, etc. And I don't necessarily think that Klinsmann is a guy who guarantees you a trip out of the woods, but I don't know. The uh, the the early returns in this game I thought were pretty good, considering um, Hertha had gone into a, a downward spiral of results and performances that just looked not only disorganized, but disinterested. 
And I couldn't really detect any of that this week. This was definitely a performance where they were trying hard and they seemed to have, you know, fairly clear ideas of how how to do things. I, I, I do, however, think that there are some problems with both Alexander Nuri, who seems to be the tactical mind behind this team. As Klinsman will tell you himself, he is not the tactical mind and never has been in any of his jobs. Nuri seems very wedded to a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, some sort of um, wingback system, which I'm not sure that Mr. Wolf <laughs> uh, is really suited to, you know, who's who's a starting winger and is very attack-minded. And you saw in that first Jaden Sancho goal uh, how unequipped he is to track adept uh, attacking wingers on the other side. I think that there's going to be some tinkering along the way that's going to have to happen for this for this to really work out. But if this means that this is any step in the right direction for Hertha, not only on on the pitch. Uh, results-wise, but also to sort of broaden the number of people who are taking on important roles in the front office. It, for a really long time, it's just been Michel Preitz and a guy called Ingo Schiller, who is sort of the money guy for Hertha. Two people is clearly not enough <laughs> to really be running a club and to expand that to three, four, five people. You know, even once once Klinsmann moves back into the front office function on the sort of advisory board, as opposed to being a coach after this season, I it's going to be a good thing for this club. And, and, you know, I'm ready to buckle up and ride this crazy, cleansy thing. It's, it's, it's going to be really bumpy and weird. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a very bumpy ride. Uh, that's for certain. Uh, so I, I'm not sure Alexander Nuri is the right guy tactically to prevent, you know, um, going down. Um, but I do, do think, actually, I do think um, just keeping Marius Wolf as a you know, wing-back isn't too bad of an idea. I mean, it worked very well under Nico Kovac at Frankfurt, which is just that kind of a position he uh, excelled in. But Alexander Nuri is not Nico Kovac when it comes to defensive stability and defensive coordination, so probably not. But yeah, as you say, I think it's a decent choice. I think, as I said, and uh, as you say, I think it's it's a very decent choice which have for her that to bring in a few other people into their um, front office uh, and to bring in a few other people into their you know structure and try to redo uh, their whole uh, club structure um, before they move into their new stadium in a few years. It seems to be a, I mean, all in all, it seems to be a very decent time for the club in itself. Because they've got you know these this new um, stadium and new investor as well, and you know kind of new structure for the club as well. But it seems like on a pitch things are just not clicking, and this could be some way of just trying to stabilize that before they try to get that back on track as well. Uh, it's kind of difficult to say, but as you say, I think we'll be in for a very bumper ride. Yeah, with the new investment from from Vindhorst and the uh, the stadium plans, which at the moment are kind of going off the rails, but I think they'll they'll figure out some way to make it happen. Yeah. As long as uh, <laughs> you know you have a rich guy like Vindhorst on your side, a lot of things can happen. Yeah, it's 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 um, 
it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think, I hope, I'm crossing my fingers, uh, they can find three worse teams in the league than them this year, which is a really sad place to be. But that's where we're at. Let's bounce things back one more time to the Dortmund side of things. We had an interesting listener question from Bill Reese in New Jersey who asked, you know, a question which basically applies to all of the leading title candidates, uh, and we can we can apply it to Dortmund. What are the reasons that they they will win the title, and what are the reasons that they won't? For me, it all has to do with speed, if you will. They exploited their speed of play and their speed of of players in their two goals against Hertha, and both in the Paderborn game and against Hertha, the, their speed at the back is going to be their downfall potentially this season. They were, you know, picked off a bunch of times by Paderborn. They had Mats Hummels sent off because he couldn't keep up with Davy Zelka. So for me, that's that's uh, the reasons to win, the reasons to not win. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think said their attack and just beating attack is probably a reason to win. And their defense and the lack of good transitions in defense as well is probably why they won't win uh, and why I actually think that they won't win this season. All right. Let's talk about another interim coach who, who you know, has an, also an illustrious history in the DFB ranks who is uh, at work in the Bundesliga. It's Hansi Flick. He's, you know, up until this weekend, he had done nothing but win since taking over from Nico Kovac. But that came to an end on Saturday night. Leon Bailey. Leverkusen scoring two clinical goals on lightning fast counterattacks. Bayern, as it happens, could only muster one goal through Thomas Müller. I'm just going to say that Leverkusen got an amazing team effort to keep it down to just that one goal from Bayern. Thomas Radetzky, Wendell, Lars Bender, the woodwork, let's not forget, all played a big part in getting this win. It was their first win in Munich in seven years. Alex, this was a game in some ways was that was kind of emblematic of the kind of year that it's been in the Bundesliga. Lots of wild swings, luck going around that was not really on the side of the record champions, which is not how it usually goes in the Bundesliga. How do you rate this win for Leverkusen? I think that, that, that you know, first half was absolutely mental to watch. One of the most entertaining games I've watched in quite some time. Most defensively, the game was horrible but an attack was very good from both sides good counter-attacking for both from both teams and uh, i think by munich works very good especially you know in, in attack but i think leverkusen just as you said uh, put, put together a very decent more than decent uh, an excellent uh, team performance to grant out to win very very strange game as you said very like this uh, Bundesliga season very up and down for both teams very not stopping anywhere, just going on, going on, going on, without any rest. So I'm very happy to have watched that game because I, I I was kind of busy. So I just took some time to watch that first half and I did not regret that that choice at all. But I said, uh, very strange to see Munich not being in you know the driver's seat. They were kind of passive, tried to control the game. I think Leverkusen didn't control the game either. It was just up in the air, very a very like big lack of momentum from both sides, which is a game that just went on with lots and lots of chaos and lots and lots of just very random uh, occurrences. Um, so a very fun game to watch, a uh, strange game to watch if you're a Bayern Munich supporter, a very strange game to watch if you are um, a Leverkusen supporter as well. But 
fun game, nevertheless, and um, very special for this very special season of um, Bundesliga. Yeah, what do you what do you make of, uh, of of Leverkusen more broadly? I mean, this was clearly the, the the run of play in this game for a lot of the time was not really going their way, especially in the second half where they. You know, it looked for a long, long time like this was just going to get away from them, but uh, they, they were able to hold on and get this result. This is another team, one among so many teams in the Bundesliga this season, which have gotten some great signature results and have also just not shown up in certain weeks. Is is there any sense that this this Leverkusen side is, is beginning to round into something better than that, or are you still not particularly convinced by Peter Bosch's boys? I think I, I, will, I will never be convinced by Peter Bosch. I think his coaching and his team management is too chaotic and just too much you know, everywhere and all, all over the place, which Leverkusen has been the last um, one and a half years. Um, so I don't think this is turning out to be something more than this at the moment. You just think this is kind of what it is. And you just have to have some luck and uh, pray that, you know, those are those good results turn up on uh, the weekends that they absolutely need them the most. Because uh, that's kind of the way it's going to be for Leverkusen. They, they will turn up in some games and some games will just be, they will be, you know, lost in some kind of translation uh, between attacking football and um, counter-attacking football. And um, I think that's just, you know, the way it's going to be for them this season and every season they play when Peter Boss is their manager. I think that's just his style, his kind of coaching style, just being very chaotic, very being, being very odd, being very um, unsure of everything. Uh, just Things just go by and he just acts very randomly. This seems to be a very decent game plan in mind for him, but that game plan just gets shoved out of the window as soon as the game commences uh, and things just normally are very chaotic when Peter Boss is in charge for them. So I think this game as well was very you know, normal for Leverkusen. This is how Leverkusen play. They try to do what they can with the chance that they get and when they get a chance, I mean, they do have the quality needed to, to you know, uh, capitalize on those chances but if they don't get those chances if, if they do concede chances with they which it did in this game as well but they were kind of lucky with you know the woodwork and Lucas Rodeski as well I have no idea how Leverkusen managed a win from this game because I think my Munich were much much better in attack and in, in defense even but somehow they managed and it's obviously a very special win for them but I can't see this being you know I can see this being the, the norm for Leverkusen, which isn't good in any way. I think it's the opposite. I think it's very, very bad for them because there's, there's no solid game plan, no, nothing, you know, nothing to build upon uh, that I can find. And so it's just very normal Bosch win. It's just that. It's just a win, nothing more. Just three points, three lucky points. And next game, they can just they could very very possibly lose by like five goals to nil. It wouldn't surprise me a bit because that's Leverkusen. That's always been Leverkusen under Pitbulls. Um, it's a very strange team to watch. A very strange team to follow for those who follow them avidly. A bit like my my Frankfurt in, in that regard. Very chaotic, very diva esque, very up and down, very all over the place. So yeah, it's been um, it was a very fun game as I said, but I wouldn't take too much away from it more than. 
it's being a very normal Leverkusen performance. Yep, yep. I mean, I guess the one thing that I would say on the other side uh, of this is that one of the stories of the season for Leverkusen uh, thus far, or at least up until this past weekend, was about their poor sort of ability to take their chances. They were, you know, well under their expected goals total for the season. I think um, still they are something like close to four goals uh, under what uh, expected goal models would have them at. And there was, you know, a fair bit of discussion among German pundits. I, I was listening to the, the the excellent German language podcast about the Bundesliga Rasenfunk a, a couple of weeks ago, and there was somebody on there who, who watches a lot of Leverkusen who was sort of talking about how <laughs> it would really be nice if they had, um, you know, somebody who you could trust to put away chances. And, you know, it, it happened for them this week. I mean, Leon Bailey has, has been very marginal compared to where he has been in some past seasons for Leverkusen. But man, what a week to wake up. And man, what a week to start taking chances. I mean, this is a player who who has a lot of ability. And if he can sort of harness that ability and score those goals for Leverkusen that have been missing, if he can go on a tear for uh, several games, I, I think that they can cement their place up in the upper reaches of the table for a little longer. I mean, those are that's a lot of ifs piling up on top of each other, but it could happen. And and to get to your point about them losing five nil next week, it's not going to happen. They're home to Schalke. Schalke don't score five goals in a game. It just doesn't happen. I don't know. Let's let's quickly get back to to Bill Reese's question question that he sort of wants to pose about each of the uh, you know title contenders and and. I'll go along with you. I will nix uh, Leverkusen from the list of title contenders. I think that's a prudent move. But we can talk about Bayern as a title contender. What are the reasons that they will win the title? What are the reasons they won't? Mm, Difficult to say. They are very difficult to predict this season. I think that this is the most difficult season I've ever seen from them. I can't say whether they will win the next game or lose the next game. They are very just like the rest of Bundesliga, very up and down, very all over the place. I think Hansi Flick has done everything right, obviously, since he arrived. He's done, he's done everything he can to kind of right this ship. But I still think they are too, you know, chaotic uh, to left without, a, a, you know, a clear plan every game and what they're going to do. So I think there will, will be these, these games where they lose quite inexplicably, uh, despite playing very well. Uh, which is not the buying way. By buying is used to you know playing badly but still winning games. They are used to you know doing these, having these loss of form but still performing somehow. So uh, I don't think the players will all experience uh, are used to this kind of situation, which is why I think in this case I think experience is pro and con for them because I think experience is the way for them out of this chaotic tenure, but I still think that their experience as a winning team might harm them in some way, because I think that experience might, you know, they haven't had, had any experience of losing a big chunk of games, they haven't had any real experience of being in any actual, actual danger of losing the title. I think that might actually happen this year, because I think they have a few teams who are good enough to last all the way along. Uh, at least Leipzig, possibly even Mönchengladbach, which means that they might actually have a proper title fight on their hands, not to fight thence when with three games to go. I don't think you know the players at Bayern Munich are used to that, which is a con, because they they're not used to that kind of pressure. 
Uh, while experience is always a pro, obviously, but in this case, I think it's both because mm-hmm. I think that experience, that experience, you know, of only having won the, the title, not having had to fight that much for it, might harm them uh, more than the you know experience of having won titles actually will do pretty good it's interesting you picked a uh, a sort of double-edged sword answer to that question because i kind of have one as well uh and that you know the reason i think that they will win the title is robert Lewandowski, and the reason why i think they they might not win the title is also robert Lewandowski. this is not to say that i i, I think you know I, I have nothing but admiration for robert Lewandowski, but there is only one of him which means that if he experiences any sort of drop-off in form, which, let's face it, is normal for any striker, for any footballer, or if, you know, he gets injured, Bayern just have nothing in their squad that does anything like what he does. And I just have a feeling that if if something goes wrong for him, then that's, that's Bayern sunk, you know. It's already clear to me that he is having, you know, one of his be- the best seasons of his already great career, but there could be a wall coming up ahead, especially if you look at things in a more, you know, health perspective. I have no reason to think he's going to get injured, but it happens to people, and Bayern just don't have anybody who can do what he does. So I, I, I I'm a little worried. Let's talk now about uh, Gladbach because they are still at the top of the table and they have, um, you know, really cemented themselves in that place. They uh, had that dip last week against Union Berlin, but they looked really, really good this week. It was a true barn burner of a match at home for them, uh, one that saw all kinds of end to end play from both sides, but, you know, Let's face it, most of the most dangerous bits were from from one side in particular. The side that had understats XG model had racking up an absolutely unholy 5.29 XG in this game, which actually sounds about right to me considering that the Foles left a few chances on the table. It was a 4-2 finish for them over Freiburg. I mean, Freiburg were good in stretches, but Gladbach were, were scary in this game. Their front three of, of Embolo, Hermann, and Turham were, they were not a handful. They were like a, a wheelbarrow full. It would be really, really hard to keep them under control. And I actually liked them going into that game against Bayern next week. I was just looking at the at the, the list of what's on the match day for next week. And, and you know, the, the kicker app, Helpfully, they of course have a have a betting partner, and there's a lot of money to be made betting on Gladbach as as a home uh, favorite or a home dog, really against Bayern. I, I think that they're dealing pretty well with being number one, and I would not be surprised at all to see uh, a pretty pretty good result for them against Bayern next week. A, a pretty emphatic win. Yeah, it's very possible uh, considering how they both looked. Bayern have been not that stable defensively and uh, Gladbach are, as you say, very good going forward. So it could very well happen. I'm guessing it's in much Gladbach as well, uh, which historically has been a very difficult place for Bayern, I think, which means they have that kind of support behind them, which Borussia Park truly does give. Uh, so yeah, I do agree. I think Gladbach uh, do have, I wouldn't say the total upper hand, but they, they are probably in my mind favourites as well for this game, because place they're in in the table and just what they've done this season to earn that place 
All right. Well, then let's let's because um, we've talked quite a bit about um, Gladbach in recent weeks on this podcast. I think we can probably um, leave this game behind, but we should address the Bill Reese question, which is to say, what, what are the reasons that Gladbach will win the title, and and what are your reasons why they won't? They will win because of their depth. I would say their total depth. They have not one but two players in almost every position who can, you know, do. Well, uh, I would say possibly just goalkeeper is the only position where they, they lack that kind of depth. But goalkeeping is rarely a problem. Jazz has basically never been that injured for a long time, so it shouldn't be a problem. They have, you know, backup in every position. Backup that's possibly even as good as their starting option, which is always very nice to have. And the backup they have and the starting place they have are also very flexible plays. They can play in uh, an array of different positions. Uh, they can do an array of different things on the pitch, play in, in an array of different roles, which I think Marco Rose is very happy to have. So I think that depth and that flexibility, uh, winning that depth is something that will truly help them uh, in their endeavor to win the title. Their will not is more difficult because I haven't seen that many weaknesses this season from them. I think experience could be one, obviously, that's always one. Not being experienced enough to, you know, take that, do that, you know, extra, run an extra mile in the last few games, uh, just not keeping that focus in the key moments. Uh, that could be one aspect of the experience that could work against Gladbach because they're not the most experienced squad. They haven't won that much. They had a very good last season, but more than that, it's just it's been a few rough years, and most of the players haven't been with Gladbach since. Yeah, they they've only seen a team that's kind of finished in the top half or possibly Europa League. They haven't been able to fight for the league in in any way uh, with any club they they've been with. So I think inexperience should be the main um, con for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I, I truthfully think that this is another one of those. I don't know, maybe maybe it could go either way situations. I, I I think that their real strength and their the reason why they will win the title is that their personnel and their system match up so well. Marco Rosa's idea of of how to play football being, you know, about quick transitions and uh playing pretty vertically to to pretty quick players who can get up the wing or or you know switch positions uh between the the wings in the middle happens to be perfect for the, the squad that they have. But I, I do however think that um, as that system becomes more familiar to more of the league, that they might run into problems being something of a system team. And I think that they might be, I don't know, maybe another year or another transfer window or two away from having a couple of more players who can sort of transcend that. I mean, Marcus Turam, I've been super, super impressed with in this season, not only with how he fits in the system, but just the moments of magic that he's able to come up with. There's definitely times where he has managed to either, you know, get a shot off or or set up a teammate in a position that, you know, a lot of other players in this league just wouldn't be up to. I mean, he is a player who I feel is sort of transcends that that uh, concept that I think this is a system team. But I don't think they have a lot of other players who can sort of e- exist in this system and come up with those, you know, individual brilliance type moments and, and, and you know, be the sort of difference maker. I, I think that they might be a little short of those. 
Let's move on to the last of our four official title candidates. That is uh, RB Leipzig. They also picked up a win this weekend. They have been really making the most of a soft stretch in their schedule. They have faced Mainz, Hertha, Cologne, and Paderborn in their last four games. They have won all four of those games. They have outscored their opponents 19-5. to This week's Result was a, a little closer than those. It was a 3-2 win, which, you know, was closer than than they certainly would have liked. But it looked like they were going to be just riding away with this. They were up 3-0 inside of a half an hour. It was a, Their goals were really pretty, pretty attractive stuff. A filthy, filthy drag back and strike in the box from Patrick Schick. A screamer from outside the box by Marcel Zabitzer and a classic Timo Werner keeper rounder on the run. Paderborn, of course, did make it something of a game in the second half, but, you know, it's really hard to dig out of a 3-0 deficit. You mentioned the squad depth of of uh, Gladbach just a moment ago, Alex. We've been talking about the squad depth of RB uh, all season and how that there's, you know, there's still players who have yet to make an impact this season. I'm thinking of guys like Tyler Adams, one of their best players last Rukrunda, of course. Patrick Schick now, who had struggled with ankle issues until recently. It was his first start for his first goal. Everything is working for RB at the moment. What what do you make of this team? I mean, it's just a very Nagasman team. Brilliant going forward. Decent in defense as well. I mean, their numbers tell otherwise because they kind of, I think they, they've conceded least goals in the league. But they have a few, sometimes they can have a few lapses of concentration. But they are, you know, very good in defense as well. But their attack is, is and has always been Leipzig's strength. And with Nagelsmann, that's just amplified. Uh, so I think you know, their um, depth, as you said, is, was probably their main pro, I think. Their way of attacking in so many different ways and different uh, positions and, um, you know, trying different things to break the teams down. They, they always seem to find some kind of way to, to do it. And Nagelsmann is always a very amazing coach at coaching t- attackers. Um, he did it with, I know, uh, Kromaric, did it with uh, Belfodil, who did it with uh, Shalai, which is a miracle. So him having Timo Werner, him having uh, Christopher Nkunku, and so on at his disposal is, is like a child in and the chocolate factory. It's you know, it's he's so so happy to have these these play these role talents to work with, and they should be as happy to work with him. So I think depth and Julian Nagelsmann should probably be the main pros for Leipzig this season. What are your cons? What are the reasons they won't win the league? Ah, uh, that's very difficult. I I haven't got a clue actually because I I haven't seen that many cons for Leipzig this season. I haven't seen that that much negative from them. Uh, they look so so amazing. Possibly routine and experience is always a con for these these teams. Uh, Leipzig as a club has been around for that long, so that that could be an aspect. That's possibly the only thing I can come up with when it comes to Leipzig at the moment. They seem very strong. Uh, my main um, title favorites for the season at the moment. Yep. All right. Well, you, you had pretty much the same stuff as me. I thought squad depth was really their their biggest strength. The fact that they just seemed to have, you know, a quality that you know when when one guy goes down, the next just comes up and plays just as well or better. That the squad rotation they seem to not uh, have any drop off in quality. And 
My reason that they won't win the league is nothing. I'm beginning to think that they are going to win the league. Since we're in agreement on that, I think we should probably uh, knock part one on the head and come back in just a moment with part two with uh, discussions of the rest of the league in brief. All right, here we are back with part two of Talking Foosball. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Axel Falk. Before we move on from the title contenders discussion, I sort of wanted to complexify things by talking about another team who happens to be up in that top five with the other four teams we have discussed. Lo and behold, Schalke are up to third after this win over Union. It was a 2-1 win at home. And, and, you know, wins over Union are starting to look better and better. This is a team who had been on the rise in recent weeks, uh, was was Union. Uh, goals from Benito Raman and a late one from Swatserdar were enough to overcome. The Berliners' goal scored off of a penalty given for a truly, truly craven dive from Robert Andrich. But, you know, leaving all that stuff aside, Axel, we have spent you know, a, a good deal of time weighing the, the relative strengths and weaknesses of, of those other four title candidates. Are... Are we wrong in any way to leave Schalke out of this discussion or, or you know, <laughs> um, I don't think we are. Not not really. Uh, I, I don't think Schalke have what, what it takes to do that. Uh, they've taken some amazing steps from last season, obviously, because last season they, I think they finished 14th or 15th, something like that at least. Sub-teenth. Which was, yeah, was obviously a, a new low for uh, Schalke, at least since they perjury in 1974 <laughs> but um, this is, has been rejuvenated Schalke with some new tactical ideas from David Wagner, a uh, coach I was kind of negative to when he took over I do not think that was the best of choices for them but here we are, them being third in the league uh, do not see that coming uh, and we will not see that again I don't think yeah well they got to go to Leverkusen next week that could be uh, the first landmine talking about Union David Wagner in fact said after this game that he thought that it was the best team that they had faced Auf Schalke you know at home in, in the uh, Feltins Arena other than Bayern, He's, he really had a lot of praise for Union. And, and the narrative around that team, which is to say they're good at home, they're not very good away from home, maybe, do you think they might be ready to transcend that narrative? Uh, possibly. They've done some amazing work. I think um, Uwe Fischer is just amazing at, at his job uh, at the moment. He's just on roll, I think. They're gaining momentum. I can't see this stopping anytime soon. And they were kind of the team that I, together with Paderborn, obviously, that I figured would go down without any shadow of a doubt. But now I'm thinking that they might not even just hang like, like hang on, but do uh, this is the often finish like 10th. Because they, they're looking that good and they have that kind of strength, kind of core strength in midfield and uh, in defence that is, that is needed for a club that just got up. Because it's not easy to stay up. Uh, it seems easy considering most teams that have gone up have actually managed to stay up the first season. But if you have that kind of defensive structure and defensive stability, uh, I think every, everything is possible uh, for a club like Union. And uh, with that kind of you know, support uh, from home uh, and beginning to transcend that kind of uh, status, being just a team that performs at home, 
uh, yeah, it's it's to look very, very good and a very fun time for me as well as this week considering Sebastian Anderson is doing extremely well uh, for them. So it's, uh, it's it's been to look quite decent for for Union uh, in the first season Bundesliga. They might actually have to get used to playing Bundesliga football. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be. That would cause a lot of uh, conflicted feelings among a lot of those long-term fans of of Union who have gotten very, very comfortable in the confines of the second division. All right, we got a couple of games we can run through pretty quickly. A 1-1 draw between Hoffenheim and uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf. This was a game that, you know, it looked like Hoffenheim were off to the races. Andre Kramerich looked like he had, you know, just put them on their way. Early lead against Düsseldorf, who were terrible away from home, but that's Actually, not how things went. Uh, we talked about Zach Steffen and Ruven Hennings last week, and, you know, looky there. It was the American keeper making some ridiculous saves to keep Hoffenheim from adding to their lead. And, you know, when his moment came, two minutes from time, Hennings was there to put it in the back of the net and snatch a point for Fortuna. Wolfsburg, who um, are also sort of in that mid-table fringe Europe section, they uh, missed their chance to get back into those European places while Bremen got their first league win since September, if you can believe that. It was a 3-2 win away from home for Werder, a seesaw game that you know, just ended up on the seaside uh, with with uh, Bremen and Wolfsburg trading goals until the clock ran out and uh, Bremen uh, were up 3-2 at that point. Milat Rashica, as is often the case, was at the center of all good things for Werder. He scored early, he scored late. I didn't see this game live or on highlights. I, I don't know if, if you did. I don't know if you have anything to add, but we can also just move on to talking about Eintracht because that's what I get you on this show for sometimes, right? Yep. Um, coming up on my Monday night, we've got another team hoping to stay in touch with the fringes of European competition. That is Eintracht. That is your team, Axel. Of course, they, you know, they're not just looking to get back into Europe through, through through the league. They have an ongoing European adventure happening. How about that win in London this week? A special, <laughs> to say the least. As a childhood Arsenal fan, it was kind of a difficult night. I know they have to, you know, cope because. Uh, on, a, on one hand, my probably like favorite team in the last ten years, Frankfurt. That is beat my, but then once again, once again, on the other hand, my Charlie team Arsenal, who I, you know, who I, I'm very very fond of. Obviously, away from home in London, I found like twenty five thousand very very silent uh, library visitors. I was kind of afraid that I wouldn't be allowed back home to my to uh, my father's place after this because he's. More, more, uh, more of an Arsenal supporter than I am. Uh, but luckily, I was. He hasn't seen the light, the Bundesliga light. Uh, yes, he's actually a Stuttgart fan, but um, he's more of a uh, an Arsenal fan, more more than a Stuttgart fan, uh, at least. So, um, but I was considering this game got Unai Emery fired, uh, and that was kind of what he wanted. So, yeah, was wasn't that bad uh, in the end. The game in itself, I did not have the opportunity to watch it because I, I was working, but it seemed to be the first half of Frankfurt was abysmal. That's uh, probably best way to put it. Freddy Borbich said that this was down to the arena being too silent, to nothing, which was fun to hear. And in the second half, we managed to yeah get back on track with two goals from Deja Kamada, the liberator of Arsenal Football Club, which I mean, the second half was very good for Frankfurt, just 
very good, very good football, very good attacking flow, um, and the fans managed to uh, make themselves heard, even though they shouldn't have even have been there, considering we have a stadium ban uh, for both of our away games in Europa League in the Rukunda. Um, very normal, very. I would say that this was actually a very normal Frankfurt game because Frankfurt games this season have been very like the um, the old Frankfurt, the the uh, lounge diva as we call the the moody diva. Um, we managed to lose against the you know lesser teams and managed to beat those teams we shouldn't beat, like Bayern Munich or Arsenal. Very typical Frankfurt season. This just. Very Frankfurt season, and I think this this game against Arsenal kind of proves that. Yeah, because this has been a season not only of of these kinds of wins uh, away from home to Arsenal in the in the Europa League. We've seen them tear Bayern apart in the league at home, and then we've seen them lose at home to Wolfsburg last week. We've seen them lose to Augsburg early on, which you know uh, at the time we didn't realize what what a generally poor side Augsburg were. Do you have any fear that this is, you know, you, you mentioned the, 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 the sort of reputation as the moody diva and that, you know, the last several years under uh, Kovac and then Hütter, Frankfurt was beginning to look like a much more stable number and, and perhaps ready to establish itself as, as a sort of fringe European team. Are you worried that some of that progress is, is maybe at risk or do you think that this is just the lot in life of of a frankfurt fan i think the latter actually i think the progress that has been made has been erased in any way i think it's still there i think this season has been decent still i mean we've done some had some very very good games against teams that we should have good games against as well uh it's just been moody diva-esque but and i think i mean this season was always coming after the summer we had where you know we uh, we lost our three attacking key players and you know having having to replace them uh, having to replace the whole system with a new one kind of was never going to be easy so i think i think the the games against you know the good teams is down to us having the motivation of playing those games against the relentless teams and i don't think we have the attacking strength at the moment to tear them down uh or tear them apart as we did last season uh, I think the last season was kind of a bad model for what Frankfurt should be. I don't think Frankfurt should should be that good uh, at the moment. I don't think we are that good at the moment. I think this season is more kind of the quality we have. Uh, we are still, you know, on the fringe of regular, you know, European football, uh, and we shouldn't tell ourselves anything uh, anything less than just that or more than just that. I think we are we've kind of grown accustomed to to success. In some in some way, which is strange, and then experiencing these at times difficult, strange results might seem yeah pretty strange for us because we we're not used to it anymore. But we should realize, we should remember where we came from and the team we actually are and the team we actually have. And if we do that, then we'll see that these results are just kind of the result of the process uh the structural process that's been going on for a few years and i think that will keep on going on and it's it's kind of difficult to put put, put into words because i think we, we are like the moody diva but we, we're still more than that we, we are a bit more stable than that we, we're better than that we can manage more than we have uh, and i think we do sometimes manage more than, than we have managed but i think the, i still think there's some way to go to 
the absolute potential of this team, which some of these games, as you said, against Wolfsburg and Augsburg have shown. Hopefully, tomorrow against uh, Mainz, we can show the world that we are as good as we can be, because Mainz is a team that we actually should beat uh, home or away. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very long answer to the question, but it's, um, I think we are kind of somewhere between progress and uh, Moody Diva, yeah. somewhere between, somewhere in the midst of a transition between uh, a very attacking team to a more stable team. Yeah, it's funny, you, you know, and we're just about to wrap up here, but we do have one more game to sort of uh, mention. And it actually uh, it contains a team who's sort of not as far along in that progression or, or maybe not not on that path at all, let's just say. Uh, uh, Cologne, who get a 1-1 draw against uh, Augsburg. This is also a club that, um, like Frankfurt, has has had a pretty turbulent last 20, 25 years of going up and down. They have not gotten themselves on that path towards redemption, and uh, the result that they got this weekend didn't really do them a lot of favors either. Tons of desperation in this game. We had you know, a penalty t- save from Timo Horn. We had red cards for both sides. Rafael Chicos, his red card took Cologne down to 10. Then Andre Hahn had a red card to take Augsburg down to 10. Late goal from John Cordoba rescued a point for the Billy Goats. Everyone was uh, pleased as punch to get a point out of this game. But, you know, that's not a lot of payoff for a lot of work. Things don't look really good for Cologne. This was, you know, they've now gone five games without a win. Anybody who's watched the Bundesliga for a while knows what Cologne are generally up to in this league, which is to say either, you know, talking themselves into we're going all the way in Europe or uh, getting themselves relegated, firing their coach after, you know, 11 games. Not exactly uh, a way to keep things stable. Marcus Gisdol, also not exactly the kind of hire that people look at as being uh, one for the future. This feels to me like a, another doomed season for Cologne. Does it feel that way to you? Um, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I think they've shot themselves in the foot with this you know, action of firing by lots. I still think he was actually good enough for Cologne. And even though, even though it, I mean, it might seem that he wasn't, I think firing him 11 games into the season, into their new season, into uh, you know, their comic season in Bundesliga, uh, it's not a good way to go for a club. Uh, never a good way to go as a club. And I, th- I think they're just... They seem to be on their way back, but now they seem to slowly drift back into oblivion, uh, which is, I would say, harrowing to see because Cologne is a club that belongs in Bundesliga and they belong at the top of the Bundesliga. So it's uh, it's it's never nice to see you know a traditional club like Cologne you know, sink, but they seem to do just that. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, then, uh, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Really nice to have you back on the podcast, Axel. Thank you very much. Nice, nice, nice. If you want to have more from from Axel Falk, you can find him on Twitter, at Falkfurt. You can read his work on svenskafans.com. That is, you know, you can read Swedish and and, and all that. Uh, If you can imagine contacting me on the internet, you can do that, at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Please do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your pods. Please do leave us a rating, especially if it's a good one. Talking Football Fantasy with JT and Flo. We'll be back in action later in the week. So, just some next to them all, y'all. 